giant sycamore tree shield the chapel with its leaves and branches as steel and concrete, limb and life fell, about, fell down on September 11th. Against all odds, the chapel survived without so much as a broken window. Goliath fell, but David was still standing. St. Paul's Chapel then served as Ground Zero Chapel, providing relief and respite for the saints who braved the sacred work of rescue and recovery. But it wasn't supposed to be like this. The world we thought we knew had become a strange and dangerous place since 9-11, like that of an ailing parent slipping into cantankerous dementia, and the change caught us off guard. Those things we have always thought were to be here and give us purpose and to forgive our mistakes, we suddenly find failing. The life force that fuels our dreams and fires up our imaginations seem to be fizzling out. We ache for reassurance. But it wasn't supposed to be like this. Look what happened when capitalism became the sole answer to the political ailments of humanity, so overprescribed as the antidote to life behind iron curtains and iron-fisted dictators. The global economy, celebrating the triumph of free market democracy, unaccountably began to stagger as though it had been poisoned. In 1998 came the Asian collapses. In the 2000, it was South American markets that fell, accompanied by skyrocketing inflation that rendered the legal tender worthless. And let's not forget about our own Great Recession. Russia, was, which was supposed to be the greatest prize of the free market victory, watched in agony as its currency plunged. Its grain production fell to less than half of what it had been just eight years ago. No one thought it would be this way. On the heels of economic misfortune came staggering shocks to the world's global environment. Fires raging out of control in Brazil, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Mexico. Catastrophic floods in China, Bangladesh, our own Gulf Coast, and in so many other countries, 50 countries, an anomalous acceleration in global warming. The appearance of pesticide-proof insects, the worldwide resurgence of infectious diseases once thought conquered and the outbreak of diseases for which no cures are known. You cannot tell me it is supposed to be like this. Like the plagues of ancient times, just when you thought it couldn't get worse, these disruptions to money, land, and health were eclipsed by an escalation of new human conflicts and breakdowns. 
the appearance of terrorists who are citizens of no country, launching assaults that no military force knows how to handle, no matter what presidents tell you. The committing of genocides, not by bitter ideological enemies, but by close neighbors. The conscripting of children into guerrilla armies and the massacre of refugees. The increasing evidence of sociopathic behavior and the growing appearance of self-destructive behavior in almost every country on earth. Don't you dare tell me it is supposed to be this way. Liberal theologian Walter Wink, certainly no alarmist, uses the word apocalyptic to describe our current condition. He admonishes to properly fear the apocalyptic dangers facing us may be the only way to overcome them. But wait a minute, Walter. Apocalyptic? Isn't that a bit dramatic? It is not a word that should be tossed around like some overblown beach ball. Do you mean to tell me, Walter, that say every time you kiss your wife goodbye in the morning, you wonder if it is, will be the last time you see her alive? That's apocalypse. Come to think of it, I sometimes feel that way. That's apocalypse now. The confluence of current can't say it, cataclysmic events in economic, environmental, and political spheres is calling to action not only those fringe elements of society, but also some of our most respected movers and shakers, thinkers, and theologians. And while, we cannot, while they cannot agree on what to do to meet the challenges of the day, of this very day, they all agree on one thing. What it means to be human must change now, or humanity will pay the ultimate price. Extinction is forever. Let's take a look at this word being bandied about a word that indicts humanity as conspirators in its own demise. Months ago, atomic scientists at my alma mater, the University of Chicago, set the so-called doomsday clock ahead two minutes. This is because they added climate change to its usual list of warmongering suspects. Has an apocalypse descended on our land? on our world? In some ways, yes. There seem to be apocalyptic zombies around every corner. Now the word apocalypse means unveiling, specifically the unveiling of things to come. In my view, what has been unveiled for us is the prospect prospect of endless acts of war perpetuated by invisible enemies against mostly innocent civilians and the environments that support life. A true apocalypse cannot be averted. In an apocalyptic moment, the future seems closed, inevitable, 
and inescapable. Apocalypse is consumed with the actual end of the planet Earth as it is presently constituted. Apocalypse abandons hope and looks for miraculous intervention. Just ask anyone who insisted we must stay the course in Iraq, for example. Americans had no choice but to bomb babies and maim mothers explicitly in the name of encouraging democracy. This cannot be averted. Then we must reconstitute the Afghani, Iranian, and North Korean governments in our own image, implicitly in the name of colonialism. This is inescapable. The inevitable refugee camps swell with humans on the brink of death, and we see our glimpse of our own future at the southern border. The apocalyptic has a foreshortened sense of time. It anticipates a final war between good and evil, a notion that permeates current foreign policy. By appealing to these absolutes, the power elite in America has attempted to endow its causes with a kind of ultimacy that points to apocalypse now. Those who are not for us are against us. There is no time left. Every person, every nation must choose sides. Democracy is confused with duality. Now, when I look for advice about the future, I try to remember to look backwards. Are we at the end times, the last days, the final countdown? the world war not only to end all wars, but to end all existence. Are the zombies winning? I turned to the writings of a former professor of mine, Martin Marty, undoubtedly the preeminent American religious historian of our day. In a recent in a recent essay called Seismic Changes, he makes it plain. He says, let me stress that when asked about the future, all honest historians have to say, I don't know. But the past does offer some landmarks, significant signposts that Marty divides into two categories, glacial and seismic. And as their name implies, Timing is everything. Now, glacial change, he says, is change over the long haul, but not always perceptible in the short run. Such changes represent an approved social contract. We make decisions in view of a slowly altering landscape. Seismic change like the 2016 election and the recent rise of white nationalism, forces a change so immediate and drastic that we do not yet have the words for it or the imagination to foresee the directions it will take us. Like the apocalypse, disaster seems closed, inevitable, and inescapable. Historians like Marty strive to keep in mind the bigger historical picture 
And as he says, they are trained to roll with the punches of history and schooled not to confuse each rattle of the teacups with true earthquakes. He says we are cautious and reserved to foresee aftermaths. The record of the human race, he says, reveals that people and their roles can roll with the hard punches and pick up the pieces of their shattered lives. So we try to avoid hyperbole. Yet the current crises, these latest ventures into apocalyptic territory, even has an historian as cautious as Marty, a bit, a bit spooked. Try as I might, he laments, I cannot imagine returning to a world in which any generation can wake up feeling relatively secure, as most Americans have done in most years, even after being shaken by Pearl Harbor or the Kennedy assassinations. As the philosopher Gunther Anders put it, we move into an apocalyptic mode when we no longer find ourselves asking, how shall we live? And ask instead, will we live? Now, if I am honest with myself, more and more I've been contemplating the latter even as I grasp for the kind of faith that offers the hope of how rather than the fear of if. So let's cut to the chase. Are we living in what ancient writers and others refer to as the last days? Like my former professor, I don't know. Whether or not we are indeed living in last days, I think it is wise, even healthy, to live as if we were living in last days. Now notice I said as if. You know, it doesn't hurt to think about issues of ultimacy when kissing your partner or children goodbye on your way to work. Even in the best of times, we all know deep down that a fatal scenario is possible. The fact that we don't like to think about it does not mean we should not think about it. A world that is dying economically, environmentally, and politically had better wake us up to the inevitability of our own death sooner or later. So I offer you a couple of ideas about how to live as if the end is near and the zombies are at our doorstep. Even if the apocalypse is delayed or deleted altogether, the worst that can happen is that we will end up having a better understanding of our real priorities in life and a deepening love and faith for our families and our gods. So first, ignore the advice of those who say you should go about your daily affairs with your usual flair of enthusiastic consumerism. If some of our leaders are to be believed, the bad guys win if Americans don't go shopping. <laughs> Do you remember that? Consider the infamous advertisement from General Motors. It said, on September 11th, the world as we knew it came to a halt. 
but then it urged its readers not to abandon their love affair with the internal combustion engine. <laughs> if you were planning to get a new car or truck, it's time to stick to the plan, they told us. Or as United Airlines put it, business as usual, yesterday a cliche, today a principle. Talk about mixed messages. The world changed on September 11, but Americans should carry on as if nothing happened. Let us show them we can't be shaken. Hurricane Katrina was the most horrific natural disaster in American history. But there was no rush to respond. Those folks are used to living with adversity. Don't go to higher ground, get back to work. Wrong, absolutely wrong. Crises are moments that demand reflection, re-evaluation, decision, and concrete change. A return to normal is not the order of the day. Instead of a trip to the mall, I think we ought to reconsider our personal lives. Suddenly, the trivia of popular culture and the single-minded accumulation of toys have lost their appeal for me. Instead, friends, family, and doing something meaningful with my life have risen in value. Second, what about the collective, our collective behavior and priorities? A crisis demands that we ask not only what does this mean for me, but also what does this mean for us? It's worth thinking about our collective patterns of consumption and their effects on our brothers and sisters around the world. It is appropriate to wonder why the United States' best friends, let alone its worst enemies, are disturbed when we play policemen to the world and build alliances only when a military action is looming. You know, nobody really likes a bully, even when the bully is on their side. Bullies cannot be trusted. So even our allies are now becoming our enemies. Like many of you, I go back and forth about how I feel about the state of our world. But I believe the contradictory feelings and ideas that I am experiencing are manifestations of deeper contradictions within our society and ourselves, contradictions between privilege and oppression between aspirations and reality. You may say along with me, I feel powerless. To be empowered, we need to gain the liberating strength to shape our own lives. Power to destroy or dominate others is no substitute. Third, to live as if the end is near. We need a revival of faith in the sacred, or if you prefer the good, or humanity, or whatever it is that gives you life. Please don't get hung up on the object of faith. 
when faith itself is the key to survival. If our faith is authentic, then it takes on even greater meaning during times of crisis. Like Marty's understanding of history, authentic faith also answers our most perplexing spiritual questions with the answer, I don't know. But past faith experiences offer some landmarks, some sense of what the future might be. What kind of faith am I talking about? Let's revisit the little chapel that could. As the dust began to settle in the days following the attack on the World Trade Center, the rector of the chapel asked an engineer if they could ring the bells of St. Paul's at noon on September 14th, designated a national day of prayer. The answer was no. It was simply too dangerous. About an hour later, the engineer called the rector and said, guess what? We got into the church. Crawling up in that wooden bell tower, I saw an iron bar. I picked it up and crawled up into that bell and beat the heck out of it 12 times while Jim held the flashlight so I could see. When I got back down, they told me that all the police, all the firemen, and all the volunteers heard that bell. And when they did, they took their hats off. And the zombies were dispersed, at least for the time being. During a Sunday service, the chapel rector wondered out loud how many people even knew there was a bell in that tower. Now, he continued, we hope to ring it at 12 noon every day, as long as we exist, remembering to announce to the world, God cares. When faith is acted upon, the divine becomes one of us, joining us at the ground zero of our lives and pitching in to remove the rubble that clutters our perspectives and confuses our priorities. When we become the hands and feet of faith, when we draw a line in the sand with our foot and place a finger in the barrel of a loaded gun, we become love incarnate. Behold, today is the day to begin. To the glory of life.